All right, that is a good song to sing this morning in light of everything going on around us, the the good news of the hope we have in Christ. If you would, take your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 4. So if you have a hard copy of God's Word in front of you, Colossians chapter 4, getting toward the end of the New Testament. If you have access to the Bible on your phone and you want to pull your phone or iPad out, Colossians chapter 4 is what we're going to be looking at here in, in just a little bit as we think about what it means to have relationships with one another in Christ and the gift of those, those relationships. Just a quick word, when we get to the end of the service and I have a chance to pray over us and, and dismiss us from here, know that we stay up here at the front at the end. I'd be so honored to pray for you. If you are a guest of ours this morning, my name is Owen and I'm one of the pastors here and if you have questions about the church or you have questions about faith, know that we're right up here at the front at, after that final prayer and we'd love to meet you, love to pray with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a set of verses from Colossians, we're just going to walk through those verses and then we're in the middle of a sermon series on the gift of limits, how one of God's gifts to us is that he puts certain limits on us. We can only have so much knowledge. We only carry so much power. We have so much time or money. The idea that we can only sustain so many relationships. And in fact, that's freeing because it lets us know we're not God. We we don't have the same relationship with every person. But the question is, how do we live out those relationships in a time that we need that so much? So Colossians 4, I'm going to read verses 5 through 6. And then I want to pray for us, and we're going to get right into it this morning. Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for those who... Or join us online. God, thank you for the gift of technology that, that makes that possible. And God, I know people that would just love to be here this morning. God would give anything to be here. And we know that in light of so many hard circumstances right now, aren't able to. But God, thank you for that online connection that we're able to have. God, thank you for the gift of our, our kids and preschoolers singing together, for the gift of baptism, what it means to worship and pray together and study your word. God, we never want to be guilty of taking this lightly. God, we know that this morning is not a box to check off. God, this morning is a gift from you, and we want to rejoice in that. And God, I pray that our hearts will be open over the next few minutes to think about the relationships that you've placed around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when my family first came to Emmaus just over five years ago, so five years and a couple of weeks that that we've been here at Emmaus, and Jim was asking about what office I would like to have, for some reason, a reason I still don't know to this day, uh, Jim was trying to give away his office to me. There may be something about that office that I don't know, but he was like, hey, do you want to have my office? And I said, no, I think I'll take this open pastor's office over here because at the time, and this is kind of a sad thing, watching our kids grow up, and it's good they're growing up, but it's sad at the same time as a parent. Little kids, I thought, I have a window to the playground, and so I could throw them out there on the playground, I could be here in the office getting some work done, I could keep an eye on them, so I took that office right there. Now, jump forward a couple of years, now we have Compass Preschool. So Compass is our weekday preschool program, 
And that means that I have a window where I get to participate in recess with all these little kids. Like <laughs> the little kids that come up and tap on the window, is Pastor Owen in there? And uh, man, if I could share the stories that I hear on recess at Compass right up against my window and the things that these kids say and talk about it, it's, it's funny and enlightening all at the same time. So a few weeks ago, I was in there working and kids were out on recess and one of the little girls yells, you can only have 10 BFFs, you can't have 11. Well, I didn't know this, I learned something new. You, you can only have 10 BFFs, you can only have 10 best friend forever, you can't have 11. Apparently there's a barrier there that if you cross, 11 is, is too many. Um, this little girl in that moment knew something that all of us know to be true. We have a limited number of relationships that we can sustain. Now, determined by your personality and things going on in life, probably has a little bit to do with how many relationships. I'm good if somebody tells me hi every few days, not hello, that'd be too much, but just hi, you know, every few days, like, I'm, I'm good. My wife is energized by those interactions and relationships and, and needs those relationships, but it doesn't matter who you are, we were created for relationships with one another, and yet, not every relationship is the same. And the reason this is so important is because in our world today, there's an approach to Christianity and to church that I can be a follower of Jesus, but not be connected to the people of God. I'm not talking about somebody who stays at home during a pandemic, radically different situation. People that are at home that would love nothing more than to be here and who are staying connected to the body. What I'm talking about is if you polled Oklahomans and said, how many of you are Christians? I don't know what the percentages are, but I would think there have to be pretty high. And if you also said, are you connected to a church? Immediately the defensive comeback, so I can be a Christian and not be a part of the church. As if church is something we attend or receive or, or consume, as opposed to the family of faith, the, the body of Christ, that it's not something we check off, but it's something we're a part of. And what I want you to hear this morning, maybe more than ever, is the importance of relationships and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think this is a particularly important, and, and I don't miss the irony of the fact that I'm sharing this as we move into a time where our Sunday school classes are not able to get together, not getting it together in a traditional way, but, but as opposed to that downplaying relationships, I hope this morning from God's word, you would think of those relationships as more important than you ever have before. Here's how I wanna do that. I want us to walk through the end of Colossians and see how Paul talks about relationships. Then we're gonna lay a theology foundation and then we're gonna say, so what? How, how do I go live? So, into Colossians 4. Let's walk through these. I'm gonna make some comments, not spend a ton of time on every one, but what you're trying to ask yourself is how did Paul think about relationships and how should I think about relationships? Verse seven, Tychicus, Paul says, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, as Paul is writing to the Colossians, this is the church that he's never visited in person. He, he doesn't know, know them personally. He wasn't personally involved in starting this church, but, but he's been connected to them through Epaphras. And notice the way he describes Tychicus, beloved brother. 
He sees him as a brother, as a family member in Christ, and he calls him beloved. He is a faithful and trustworthy minister. That word minister is the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon. It's a servant, someone who doesn't necessarily fill an office of a deacon, but someone who serves the body. He can be trusted that he's not looking out for his own interests. He wants to serve others. That he is a fellow servant in the Lord. The word servant is the same word for slave. Paul says, this guy is in the trenches with me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Why do we need friendships? Why do we need relationships in the Lord? Because let's be honest, we get discouraged. We need the encouragement that comes from having other people who are in the fight with us, people in the family who encourage us. And here's one of the reasons I love the word encourage in the New Testament. The word encourage in your Bible is a word that has two sides to the coin. It can mean arm around the shoulder, consoling, comforting, caring. The same word encourage can mean hand in the back, like get going, exhortation, go this direction, I'm gonna give you a little push to get you there. Sometimes in life, you need an arm around the shoulder. And sometimes in life, let's just be honest, you need a hand in the back, and maybe while they're at it, like a foot in the pant. Like, you know, you, know, you need something to get you going. The same word encourage is used in the New Testament because God knows we need in relationships to encourage us. Arm around the shoulder, hand in the back. Verse 9. With Tychicus, he's going to send Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Again, that same type of language. Who is one of you? He, he's come from the Colossae. If you want to read about Onesimus, pick up this afternoon in your Bible, or sometime this week over Thanksgiving, the book of Philemon. This verse is directly connected in your New Testament to the book of Philemon that Paul is referring to here, that they will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Look at verses 10 and 11. 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, again, he's in the fight with him, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Why is the mention of Mark and Barnabas important here? Because Paul previously has had a falling out and a division with Mark and Barnabas. But here, somehow that relationship has been reconciled and Paul is able to commend Mark and mention Barnabas as being faithful partners in the Lord. Can I tell you that not every broken relationship in your life is permanent? That in Christ, God often brings reconciliation, brings us back together. Maybe that relationship is not restored to the same level that it was previously, but that God in Christ will restore those relationships where we're able to look at someone and say, maybe that relationship is not what it was, but I commend that person as a fellow partner in the gospel. I look at that person, and instead of feeling regret and resentment about the past, I look at that person, and there is honest-to-goodness love for them, and that would have only been possible because of God's work in my life to make that happen. Verse 12, sorry, verse 11, missed it. He also mentions there Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Paul realizes not everybody's going to stay in the game with him. There's only a few people that are still of this particular group that are with him. Verse 12 now. Epaphras, who is one of you, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Praying and working hard are not enemies, like we saw last year or last week. If, if you ever think that, look at this verse where when Paul talks about Epaphras, he says he prayed hard and he worked hard. Guess what you need in your life? You need people who pray hard for you and work hard alongside you. Not somebody who prays and is passive, not somebody who works but never thinks to pray for you. We need people in our life who you know that person prays for me, and then when it's time to get to work, they're gonna be right there. Prayer and work are not enemies. They go hand in hand in scripture. Verse 14, Paul refers here to Luke, well-known figure, obviously, in, in the New Testament. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Notice in these verses how Paul is mentioning these different churches and when he talks about the churches relating together, how does he talk? He talks about them sharing with one another and partnering with one another. That these little churches, as the gospel is spreading and these churches are formed, they're not competitors. They're not against one another. They're sharing with one another. And you even get this reference to sharing scripture. There's this letter that was given to the Laodiceans. And if you go to your table of contents in your Bible, you know what you're not going to find? You're not going to find a letter written to the Laodiceans. There's a ton of debate and research out there about what letter Paul is referring to here. Possibly it was just lost. It wasn't held onto and, and used in the formation of the, the church in the New Testament. A good theory, and one that has a lot of backing, is that this letter is actually the book of Ephesians in your Bible. Not airtight, could definitely be wrong, but there's some good research that's been done that possibly this letter to the Laodiceans actually became associated with the letter to the Ephesians. And so we possibly have it in the Bible, we just know it under a different name. Again, Interesting, fun to research, fun to think about these churches connected together, but, but we don't know one way or the other. Verses 17 and 18. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting. We know from Galatians that when he did this, he wrote with very big letters. Um, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This reference to the church saying to Archibus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Do you know what's good to have in your life? A little accountability to follow through. <laughs> a lot of us have good intentions of, of what we plan to do and what we want to do. And all of us need a little accountability from someone who says, and I'm gonna make sure you do that. Paul looks at this church and says, hey, Archippus is coming. He's got a job to do when he gets there. Make sure he does it. That's not someone being over-intrusive in your life. It's just the gift of accountability from people who care for you and say, I'm gonna make sure you follow through with what God has called you to do. In Scripture, maybe more than any other place, the end of Colossians 4 lets us know how Paul thought about relationships and the importance of those relationships. So what I wanna do over the next few minutes is like we've done the last few weeks, I wanna lay that theology foundation, that biblical theology for relationships and then talk about, so what? How, how do we go live this out in the world? So let's lay the theology, then we're gonna get to the application, the so what. First, let's begin the way we began the last, uh, begun the last few weeks. 
with God's unlimited relationships. When we think about the God that we worship, remember that our God is eternally relational and loving. God did not come into relationship first when he created. God, as Trinity, Father loving the Son and the power of the Spirit, and the Son loving the Father and the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit creating fellowship and joy. This is an eternal reality. Our God is always and forever relational. So when, in the overflow of his love, he created, it makes sense that he would be in relationship with his creation, that God created us to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. And that relationship is built on love, which means when we sin, it's not just that we've broken some rules. When your kids do what's wrong, yeah, they broke a rule in the house, but what goes deeper than that? They didn't trust you. They didn't love you in the way that you wanted them to respond in love. We don't lay those rules down just as rulers. We lay the rules down out of love. And, and God's relationship with his people, he desires that we would worship him, that we'd be relationship with him and, and relationship with those around us. So God is relational. He has unlimited relationships. He's able to be in relationship with all people. There's no such thing as a Western God or a white God. God is in relationship with all people and desires for us to respond in worship and obedience and love. Now, what's this next slide? Because we know this is coming. We have limited relationships. God is able to relate to everyone in a unique way. We have limited relationships. Uh, we are related to people as family. We're related to people as friends. We have those connections as friends. We're a part of different people groups, meaning like cultures, that groups of people that, that you're connected to. Polis is just kind of a fancy word for politics, being a citizen. You're, you're a part of a city or a state or a country. We relate to people in those ways. But we also, like we said, we can only sustain a limited number of relationships. There's been some really famous research that's been done in the last 30 years by a man named Robin Dunbar. Now let me tell you up front, Dunbar comes as a sociologist from a perspective of evolution. I'll tell you right now, I mean, we, we're, so we're going to come at this from a different perspective. I think his research works even better when you come from a creation perspective. So he's coming from one perspective about all this research that he's done. But Dunbar's theory says that we are able to have five loved ones that we can maintain close connections with. Like these are the people that are closest to you. These are your loved ones. This is that really, really inner circle. You can have 15 good friends. My little friend... At recess, she knew what she was talking about. Like in between five and 15 is 10. Like 10 BFFs is just about right. She had, she had it figured out there at, at Compass Recess. But you can have about 15 good friends. You can have 50 people that you legitimately can call friends. Like you can sustain a relationship. That, that they fit the friend category. They're not BFF, but you know, they're, they're friends. 150 meaningful contacts. That number is the one that Dunbar has become famous for. That's the number that he's become famous for. He studied Christmas cards, the number of Christmas cards that people send out. He studied the relationships you're able to maintain in a workplace or in a community or even a religious organization. And he found that 150 was where we really maxed out with meaningful relationships that we can sustain in life. Um, I don't know if you send out 150 Christmas cards or not, how that fits within, if you're sending out Christmas cards, where that fits in that category, but 150 is kind of that secret number. You can have 500 people that you call acquaintances. 
and you can have about 1,500 people that you recognize, that you're able to have some sort of connection with. Now, what do we know about relationships? We know that sin, rebellion against God, leads to broken relationships. Our relationships are limited, not only because we're human, most of our relationships are limited because we're sinful. That when we rebel against God, think about the way that the Bible begins, sin breaks out, and before you know it, Adam and Eve, their relationship seems to be one that is going to have tension in it. You have brothers turning against one another early in Scripture, and it just almost gets worse from there. Sin leads to broken relationships. Codependency, narcissism, isolation, lack of trust, lack of boundaries in relationship. There's been a lot of work done over the last 30, 40 years about the importance of boundaries. How do you draw, how do you say no to people in your life? How do you draw these boundaries in in a healthy way? Clicks or sorting into these groups. This is what we face in, in modern day life that I'm only going to be around people like me, who think like me, who vote like me, who do all the things I do, and we get ourselves into these, these little groups that, that can be really unhealthy. No human can fully restore broken relationships. This gets teenage girls into trouble, but let's be honest, it gets adults into trouble. When you turn to another person to heal the brokenness in your heart because of sin and rebellion against God, because of trauma and pain that you carry in your life. We see people all the time running into unhealthy relationships, hoping that another person would bring healing that only Jesus can bring. And we know that what we need more than anything is to be saved by God, and then that leads to reconciliation with one another. Second Corinthians chapter five, a verse that many of you probably know by heart, but all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I know we did this during the Galatians study, but just a reminder, because it works so well with kids and people who are unfamiliar with Christianity, remember the shape of the cross? Vertical I need to be made right with God. I need that vertical relationship between me and God to be healed, and that can only happen through Jesus. But then there's the horizontal, sideways piece of the cross that when my relationship with God is healed, it allows my relationships with one another to also grow healthy. That we are saved, that we experience that relationship with God individually, and then it flows out in the way we treat the people around us. Because we know that when we're not personally healthy, it's gonna be very hard to relate in healthy ways to the people around us. You've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? It's true, like if I'm not at peace within myself, I'm probably not gonna be at peace with people around me. Peace with God leads us to pursue reconciliation with the people around us. Now the question is, if you believe that to be true, and I pray that that's true in your life, that you say more than anything, I need to be made right with God through Jesus and it needs to flow out in my relationships, the question is, how? What does this look like in the life of a follower of Jesus? I think it's helpful to think in concentric circles. So kids, if you had a piece of paper in front of you, if you're drawing, doodling, adults who are doodling, let me just encourage you, draw a bullseye, three circles, 
This will even be, if you're watching at home, you got some paper there on the, on the table beside the couch, pull it out, draw a bullseye on it, because as we go through this, it's going to be helpful to think about these different circles. This is Dunbar's theory, but, but it's not Dunbar's theory. Think about Moses and Jethro in Exodus 18, <laughs> where Jethro comes to Moses and says, uh, hey, hey, bud, you're, you're taking on a little too much here. Like, you can't handle all these direct reports. You need to get out there and divide those people into groups to make this thing manageable for you. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spends a disproportionate amount of time with a small group of people. There are crowds who follow Jesus, and he has these followers, this group of 72, or these larger groups that will come. But there are several times in the Gospels where Jesus will walk away from a crowd to spend time with just his disciples. He's got these 12 that he invests this time in, that he walks with, he lives with, he spends time with. And and even within the 12, he has a group of three that he gives particular attention to, and he has one that he refers to as the beloved disciple. Giving attention to a few people is not an unholy and unhelpful thing. In fact, it's exactly following the ministry of Jesus. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we think about these different circles that we've been called to live in? Let me see if I can help you in that this morning. Number one, we love widely. If you've drawn three circles on a piece of paper, that outer circle, we love widely. 1 Peter 2.17, we want to honor everyone. We want to honor everyone who is created in God's image. 1 Peter 5.9, thinking about all Christians, all the, the worldwide church, resist the adversary, standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. Limiting relationships does not lead us to be rude or disrespectful or apathetic to everyone that we encounter. Limiting relationships, realizing that I can only sustain so many direct relationships, that does not mean that then I can be dismissive and rude and apathetic toward toward all people. In fact, the opposite should happen. When I realize that I can't fix every person on the planet, and when I realize that I can't be BFF with every person on the planet, it actually sets me free to love them, to respect them, to honor them, to speak kindly to them, to care for them. We relate to people in this wide circle with love wanting to show them the love of God when we get the opportunity, but realizing that not every relationship is going to be the same. Number two, so we love widely. Number two, we commit closely. We commit closely. Think about those verses from Colossians chapter four. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Commit closely. This circle are those people that you have repeated, consistent contact with. This circle is the group of people that you are committed to in some way because you have repeated, close contact with those people, consistent contact with those people. At Emmaus, we say these are the people where you live, learn, work, and play. These are the people that God has placed you around. And, And so, The question is, how can I speak about Jesus to these people, speak in a way that honors the Lord, and how with the example of my life can I show them the love of God? Where you live, where you work, 
where your kids play, where you go to school, is not an accident. It is the work of God to place you there. And so you think about your neighborhood, repeated, consistent contact. Uh, everybody, every, everyone's neighborhood has that person who informally makes themselves the neighborhood watch committee. Like they creepily know everyone's vehicle in the neighborhood and they keep a close eye on everything that happens across the road. And these are the people that show up regularly on your neighborhood Facebook page or, or next door group or whatever the case might be. You have repeated consistent contact with, with this group of people. How can I speak about Jesus and, and show an example of faith to these people around? The people I work with, I may not have the same relationship with everyone, but God has put me there. The groups my kids are a part of, where, where the teams they play on, the people that you recognize because they sit in the same lawn chair just down the field from where your kids sit. This, this is that group of people that I am committed to proclaiming and displaying Jesus to them. Now, stay on that same circle, okay? Stay on that same circle, so love widely, commit closely, live, learn, work, play. Stay on that same circle and think about Christian relationships. This same circle is I want to commit closely because of being a part of a local church. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now in your Bible, in the New Testament, when the word church is used, it can be used in two different ways. The same word can be used in two different ways. It can mean every believer in every place at all times. Talking about the universal church, all followers of Jesus. It can use church in that way. Church can also refer to a local group of people gathered together under spiritual leadership, serving, worshiping together, caring for one another. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the uses of church in the New Testament have to do with those local gatherings. Are we a part of the church globally? Yeah, and, and that's something we celebrate and we love and we pray about. But when the scripture talks about the church, it talks about these local gatherings that we're a part of. Now, does that mean that our lives should be cut off from, from other churches. No. If you're a part of a religious group and they say you can't interact with other people, that's called a cult, not a church, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. This is not about being connected or, or disconnected from, from other churches. In fact, one of our great gifts in this part of the world and something that's been really fun to be a part of is when I think about other churches in our area and I think about other pastors in our area, with clear conscience, I do not think of competitors. I think of partners. This area, God has been so kind and so gracious to us that we have so many good, healthy churches around us that we're able to see as partners in the gospel. But let me say the next follow-up point. For the good of your soul and for everything that is true in your life, jump back uh, just for a second on that slide, and we're going to get to the next one. For everything that's good in your life, we need to commit to a local church. Here's the way this can show up in, in the 21st century. It would take you about 15 seconds online or about a mile of drive time to find someone who preaches better than I do. But those people that you could go out online and connect with and hear their sermons, it's a great feature. I, I, take advantage of it. I want you to do that. But the question is, are they keeping watch over your soul? Do they know and love and pray for your family? 
Are they holding you accountable to be a follower of Jesus? Are those places that you show up regularly to gather and worship with that group of people, not just singing to God, but singing to one another? Do you serve and care for one another? Are you using your spiritual gifts? Are you caring for people in times of need? We need partnerships in the gospel, but we need for our souls to be connected to a local church where we are growing in the Lord, where we're growing in the gospel. And that leads now to that next, that next slide. Within those churches, we need to invest intentionally in certain relationships. So remember the circles. Love widely. Everyone created in the image of God should be someone that we love and care about. But we are going to commit closely. There are places we live and work. There are churches we're a part of that we are committed to those places to speak about and live our lives as followers of Jesus. Then you come in tight. These are the relationships that we are really going to invest in. Think about the home. Let's begin there. Now, I know this looks different based on seasons of life. Who's in your home? Am I, am I living alone right now or am I living with, with other people? But the home is a place of hospitality where you show unselfish love that I'm going to invest in my marriage, giving undivided love to the spouse. So you go to work, you interact with people at work, you go to uh, wherever you like to do recreation or you go in your neighborhood. You can have those relationships but your spouse knows they have your undivided love and attention. That I, this sounds so simple, but don't miss how important this is. You invest in your marriage different than you invest in other relationships. And I know it sounds so simple, we don't even say it, but we have to remember how quickly we can give attention to other places and not give attention right there in, in our own home. That our kids know that they are loved unconditionally, that there is a special kind of love that you give to your kids, that your kids don't get the feeling that you wish other kids were your kids. Now, do you like other kids more than your own, other kids, your own kids sometimes? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, you know, at, at times. But your kids feel safe and secure because they know that they have special, unconditional love for you. This is something that, that my parents, frankly, just did so incredibly well. Like, to grow up in a home and my mom had this phrase, and she had this sign on the wall that says, home is where your story begins. Uh, I, we never lived under fear that it was a bad thing if we went out and had friends and did other things, but, but we always wanted to come back home because you knew you were safe, you were cared for, it was a fun place to be, and that provides a foundation where you invest in those relationships that then sends us out to live the life that God has called us to live. We invest in our home wanting what be happens behind closed doors to match what happens in public. When you think about investing in your home, that faith is lived out in your home in a way that matches what you portray in public. The thing, now, now there's a there's hundred reasons that, that kids would not stay connected to church and things would change as they, as they get older, but when you study trends and you study different theories about this, one thing that you find with kids that go away from the faith is what they saw behind closed doors growing up did not match what they saw from their parents in public. When kids see a consistent picture of faith, it provides a foundation for, yeah, I, I see what this looks like, and I want, and, and so parents, grandparents, we, we invest in those close relationships in our home. Think about this on a church level. It's good to be a part of a church 
where you are awkwardly passing people in the hallway thinking, uh, I kind of recognize that people and I'll pretend like I know their name even though I have no idea what their name is and I wish I knew their name and we're trying to figure out how do we relate to people within the life of the church. That's good. We, we want to be a part of a church family in, in that way that we're committed to each other but there are certain relationships in the church that you've been called to invest in on another level. This is your Sunday school class, your small group, the people that you get together with on Tuesday night or Saturday morning, or Sunday afternoon, and they know you. They know your life, they know what's going on behind closed doors, and they care for you enough to say the hard things that need to be said. These are the relationships that you invest in, and as you invest in them, you see that spiritual growth start to happen. Not every relationship in the church is going to be on that level, and that's good, that's okay. We're not created to be able to sustain the same level of relationship with every person, but we are called to love widely, we're called to commit closely, we're called to invest intentionally, and all that happens as we grow personally. So, let's take the circle and then turn it inside out and, and think about how God has, has called us to live in these relationships. Number one, devotion to God above all. These relationships that we're talking about, that we need so much. They work because my heart is devoted to God. Because when I'm growing in my relationship with God, then from that relationship, I'm able to serve and love and care for the people around me. I'm going to invest in a few relationships close to me who, as part of your church family, knows you. Who's that person that you call at 2 a.m.? Who's the person who spoke something this last year really difficult, but they spoke it into your life in a loving, caring way. Who are those people that you are investing in? Are you investing in your marriage? Are you investing in your kids? Are you investing using your home to connect with friends? Those are the relationships we have to invest in. And if they're not there, don't leave here and kick the ground and say, oh, shucks, I feel guilty, I don't have those. What's God leading you to do? Like, how can we begin to invest in those relationships to be able to see that spiritual growth happen? Commit to a local church and commit to the places and the people where you can share the gospel. Who do you come into repeated, consistent contact with and how can you speak about Jesus and model the Christian life to them? And then from there, we help to spread the gospel around the world. Behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. When you think about eternity, and you think about the new heaven and the new earth, we think about worship of God, living fully for him, but you know something that's fun to think about? You think about all the conversations that you're gonna have in eternity. All the relationships that you couldn't sustain in this life because you're one person, living for a very limited time in one place. Limited number of relationships, but think about the joy of eternity. Those people that you would want to sit down and have an unhurried conversation with from all of history, from all around the world, that God opens before us an opportunity to have these relationships, but it begins right now with our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. As I was thinking about this morning, I almost didn't do this particular approach, this particular message, because it felt borderline hypocritical when we just sound, sent out a message saying, and we're not gonna meet in small groups for the next seven weeks because of, because of the virus. 
But more than ever, this seemed particularly important for our church. Yeah, are we, are we gonna get together in small Sunday school classes during this time? No, pr- probably don't need to do that. That's probably not the best step to take. We wanna honor the governing authorities around us. We wanna be wise in how we do this. Do we need relationships during this time to come? More than ever. More than ever, we need to love and care for one another. More than ever, we need to be the church. More than ever, we need to thank God, who have you placed me around that I can tell them about the good news of Jesus and show the love of Christ to them? God, who are you calling me to care for and invest in during this time? Let's do that together. Let me pray for you about that. Father, thank you for the gift of of a church family. And God, thank you again for our friends and church family at at home being able to watch online and connect through our podcast in different ways like that. God, help us to be loving and respectful and kind to everyone that we interact with. God, that our love for people would go wide. God, that we would honor people. God, help us to commit closely. God, help us to think about our neighborhood and our workplace and our school and our church as places we're committed to. We can't be a part of every organization on the planet, but God, you have called us to be a part of the church and you have put us in certain places on purpose to share your love. And God, I pray that you would show us which relationships to invest in God, I pray, beginning in my own home, God, help us to invest in our marriages. Help us to invest in our kids. God, I pray in our church that we would understand what it means to invest in these relationships closest to us through groups and Bible studies and classes and just friendships that develop where two or three people make a commitment to one another for a, for a period of time. And God, you use that in incredible ways in our lives. And God, I pray for anyone watching or listening or here this morning who just feels incredibly isolated and lonely. God, I pray that they would know that you are near to the brokenhearted. And God, if they have never known the gift of peace with you, that they would know that that comes through Jesus, that he's taken away sin and death so that we could be reconciled to you and then reconciled to one another. So God, make that true for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.